On February the 19th, 1886, West Tennessee newspaper readers were reading about the Bunko robbery. A drunken woman tried to murder her children. They had the drop on him, choked to death by her husband, a shocking tragedy, and a very serious robbery. This and much more on a year of crime as reported in the newspapers of West Tennessee. Please note that some articles use language considered offensive by today's standards. Robbed by Bunko Men, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, February the 18th. John Bell, age 65, and a member of a well-known upholstery firm, was enticed into a Bunko room this morning and became so pleased with the workings of the game that he went to a bank, drew $2,000, and returned. He was knocked down, and when he recovered, found the money and thieves gone. Cincinnati, Ohio, February the 18th. George M. Thompson, local cashier of the Pullman Car Company, was robbed of $415 in cash, which he had laid on the desk while writing a check in the Citizens National Bank this afternoon. An Arkansas tragedy, a family of six people killed by a Negro. Little Rock, Arkansas, February the 18th. Information has reached the city of a terrible crime, the slaughter of a family of six people. The report circulated here is based on a private telegram which stated that a messenger had come to Palarm from a settlement about eight miles from the station with the news of the terrible tragedy. The dispatch contained only meager facts of that six people, father, mother, and four children, had been killed by a Negro. From the men on the train yesterday evening, however, it was learned that a posse was being organized to go in pursuit of someone who had killed the James family. A passenger on the same train said that the murderer had not been caught and the people intended to procure bloodhounds from the penitentiary to follow him. They had the drop on him, Galveston, Texas, February the 18th. A special from Mexia to the news says, Henry Tickle, a notorious outlaw who was wanted for murder and horse stealing in Navarro and other counties in this state and who has had repeated conflicts with state officials in various parts of the state, was captured at Trinity Bottom at midnight last night by Sheriff Childs and a posse from Freestone County. Tickle was surprised and when captured was armed with a Winchester rifle and revolvers. The officers, however, had the drop on him. Choked to death by her husband, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, February the 18th. Mrs. Emily Zinthowski, aged 40 years, was found lying dead in bed yesterday afternoon, and from the circumstances surrounding the case, it is supposed that she was choked to death by her husband. The police arrested the husband and a boarder named Theodore Brusick. A Shocking Tragedy, Des Moines, Iowa, February the 18th. A shocking tragedy occurred at Runell's, a small town 17 miles east of Des Moines yesterday. Floyd West, a respectable miner, was discovered murdered in his bed with the probable assassin, his brother-in-law, standing over him with an uplifted axe. West's two brothers-in-law, William and Henry Furry, had been living with him. The latter was occasionally manifested indications of mental unsoundness and threatened his relatives and particularly his brother-in-law. Tuesday night, it was noticed that Henry seemed more restless than usual, declining to go to bed. His brother kept watch on him, but did not anticipate serious trouble. During the night, Henry went frequently to the bedside of his brother to see if he was asleep. The latter was awakened by a slight noise about 4 o'clock and rushed into the room of his brother-in-law, Mr. West, where he saw his brother Henry with an axe raised as if to strike at the prostate man. He grabbed his brother and took away the weapon, but found his brother-in-law had already had his skull smashed. The assassin ran to a neighbor's where he was soon captured. Later, he was lodged in jail in the city. When seen last night, he feigned insanity, or was insane, saying that he had been charged by the Lord for several years to do this deed, and he had only done it by divine request.
a very serious robbery, St. Louis, Missouri, February the 18th. P.D. Anderson of Kildare, Texas, representing the Littler and Texas Land Company, reported to the police last night that a valise containing deeds and titles to 50,000 acres and valued at $125,000 was stolen from him at the Union Depot. The satchel also contained the charter and seal of the company. He was waiting for a train and left the grip on the seat while he stepped to the ticket office. When he returned, it was gone. He says the loss may lead to endless trouble and litigation and offers a reward for the recovery of the papers. A drunken woman attempts to murder her children. Chicago, Illinois, February the 18th. Mrs. Margaret White made a desperate attempt last evening to murder her two children, but for the timely interference of James Doherty, a special policeman, she would have succeeded. When crossing the Lakeshore and Rock Island tracks at the Archer Avenue crossing, he saw Mrs. White with her four-year-old boy and six-year-old girl standing near the train of moving freight train cars. He noticed the woman trying to push the little boy beneath the wheels of the moving cars, but the little fellow screamed each time and broke away from the mother's grasp. The train had almost passed when the woman deliberately shoved the boy under the slowly moving cars. Doherty jumped to the little boy's rescue, and it was just in time to save the child's life. The woman turned savagely on him and exclaimed, What did you do that for? My husband is a drunkard. I am tired of life, and I want to get rid of these children first. Her husband appeared before Judge Meach this morning and stated that his wife had attempted to take the life of the children once before with an axe while she was intoxicated. The justice sent her to the Martha Washington home with a fine of $50. Brutal Murder, Columbus, Georgia, February the 18th. George Davis brutally murdered Archibald Reams in Russell County, Alabama, yesterday. Both were white men and lived on the Fitzgerald Plantation. Davis, who was overseer, sent Reams to look for cows, following him, and shot him twice in the back of the head and shoulders, stabbed him twice in the throat, and broke his skull with the butt of a shotgun. Before committing the brutal murder, he told persons on the plantation about it and then left for parts unknown without giving any reasons for the deed. Davis is married, and it is said had been intimate with Reem's sister. Smothered himself by inhaling gas. New York, February the 18th. Jean Liberson, a French cook, committed suicide Tuesday night in his boarding house, number 403 4th Avenue. He smothered himself by inhaling illuminating gas, as hundreds had done before him, but his method of doing it was singularly un unusual. He had not been seen since Tuesday night when he went to his room, a little hall bedroom, and locked the door. This morning, he was found lying in bed dead. He had attached the seven-foot-long hose of a drop light in the room to a gas arm over the bed, passed it under himself, and into his mouth from the other side. Then, to make sure that no gas should escape to prolong his struggles or delay his purposes, he had swabbed his head in bandages, wrapping a sheet around his head, face, and neck. Then he turned on the gas. As the corpse rested on the bed, it looked like a man smoking a long Turkish pipe. He left a letter saying that he was tired of life. Singular Case of Mistaken Identity, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, February the 18th. A singular case of mistaken identity was developed in the criminal court today. Mrs. Bowers applied to the court yesterday for a writ of habeas corpus to compel Mrs. Myers and her husband to produce the body of a four-month-old child in court. Mrs. Bowers claims the child was born at the city home and that Mrs. Myers obtained it from her with the promise that it should be returned. This statement was confirmed by the superintendent of the home and some nurses. On the other hand, both Mr. and Mrs. Myers swore positively that the child was theirs and had been born at their house. They called the physicians and several neighbors who confirmed Mrs. Myers' story. The court gave the child to Mr. and Mrs. Myers. Husband's Brutal Crime 
fiendish cruelty of a Trousdale County man, particulars of the crime with which James B. Ward of Hartsville is charged. Mr. W.M. Hammock, an attorney with of Hartsville, Tennessee, and employed by Mrs. James B. Ward to prosecute her husband, arrived yesterday with a special deputation authorizing him to take charge of Ward, who, as mentioned in the appeal of yesterday, was arrested Wednesday at the Louisville and Nashville Depot. The details of the crime with which Ward is charged are given by Mr. Hammock, paint him as one of the vilest wretches with whom the law ever had to deal. Ward owns 1,000 acres of the richest land in Trousdale County and has a fine farm well stocked with blooded cattle and horses. He was married at 19 years of age to an innocent and pretty girl, three years his junior, by whom he has two remarkably fine boys, one 13 and the other 15 years of age. For 12 or 14 years past, they have not lived happily together owing to the husband's insane thirst for whiskey, and during that time he has frequently beaten his wife, a frail, delicate little woman, who bore it in silence. While the last heavy snow lay over two feet deep on the ground, Ward went home intoxicated and began quarreling with his wife, who tried to get out of his way. He struck her two or three violent blows, and she ran out into the hall. Ward seized a shotgun, and it was in the act of pulling the trigger when his wife suddenly turned, ran under the muzzle, and knocked the barrel up. The load was discharged into the wall, tearing away the lathing and plaster, and the gun fell from his hands. The frightened woman ran out of the house, followed by the brute, who threw her down in the little snow and began beating her with his fist. With the energy which comes of despair, and the distracted woman defended her life, delivering at least one blow with such effect that her assailant's hold was broken, and he fell to the ground, stunned for the moment. Seizing her opportunity, she made her escape to the barn and concealed herself in the hay in the loft so effectively that Ward, in his drunken search, was unable to find her. He scoured the neighborhood for miles around. Mrs. Ward remained securely concealed for six or eight hours until after nightfall when she ventured out and walking four miles through the snow safely reached the house of a neighboring farmer who took her under his protection. When Ward became sober and realized what he had done, he fled, taking with him his two sons who were now in Helena, Arkansas. They are important witnesses and will be taken back to Nashville. It is not yet known whether or not the criminal proceedings against Ward will be pushed, but a suit for divorce has already been begun, and his property amounting to about $25,000 has been attached by his wife. Ward left for Nashville last night in charge of Mr. Hammock. Thieves caught and their plunder found buried in the ground. Rich haul made by the police in the old factory lot to arrest. The police made a rich find yesterday in the old factory lot, North Memphis, Two or three nights since thieves pried open the window of Mrs. Mary Hawley's grocery in the vicinity of the factory lot and carried off a quantity of groceries, dry goods, and tobacco. The police got a clue to the robbers, and yesterday afternoon, officers Hedrick, Pride, and O'Haver went out to the uh, shanty in one of the vilest corners of the factory lot to make a search. The detectives found a lot of brandy cherries and some dry goods between the mattresses of the bed and the shanty, and Officer Hedrick, seizing a spade, began prodding about in the garden, where an effort had been made to make it have it appear that the ground had been plowed, preparing to sow seed. At the third or fourth prod, the spade struck a plank, and when the earth was removed, a quantity of groceries were discovered. Among the goods found were a whole cheese, a caddy of tobacco, two boxes of cigars, a box of cigarettes, a lot of flour, several bottles of whiskey, and some dry goods. The two women in the house, Lou Neal and Mary Nelson, were taken to the station house and a charge of receiving stolen property entered against them. They, of course, denied all knowledge of the robbery. 
The steamer Helena was yesterday the scene of what threatened to become a serious riot. It appears that the boat contracted with the Negro named Bill Darcy to unload her. The rouseabouts on the landing objected to be employed by Bill, alleging that he was in the habit of robbing them of their dues, and they all, with the exception of some half a dozen, declined to touch the boat's cargo. Darcy, with his crew of six, started to unload the freight amid the hootings of a mob of 200 Negroes. Finally, someone in the crowd threw a small stone at Darcy, and he, picking up a brick to defend himself against what he thought was the signal for a general attack, fled on board the boat with a crowd of 50 Negroes behind him. An intelligent white policeman who was in the vicinity promptly arrested Darcy and carried him off to jail, assisted by the delegation of the mob, who took advantage of the confusion to minister to the prisoner a severe cuffing. The charge against Darcy is resisting an officer. No other arrests were made. If Darcy is dishonest as alleged, he ought to be taken hold of by the authorities and not permitted to plunder ignorant and hardworking roustabouts. That's the crime news for February the 19th, 1886. Please join us again for A Year of Crime as reported in the newspapers of West Tennessee.